Welcome everyone to the Courageous Truth Podcast. As always, I am honored that you have chosen to spend a little bit of time with me today. I am sharing today my sermon from Packwood Foursquare Church. I believe this is a very important message for believers in Jesus and those who do not follow Jesus. There is great content in this message. Now, I want you to stay tuned for after the message. There is a clarification that I need to make, but it needs to be made after the the talk. So stay tuned for that. Continue to take a courageous stand for the truth. Thank you for always tuning in and God bless you. And I will speak to you at the end of the sermon. Been a Foursquare pastor for, I want to say, about 11 years. Uh, we served down in uh, Ording at a Foursquare church down there. We were on the church planting trail in Graham uh, for a few years, and now we're in a transition, which I'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but we're very glad to be here. My beautiful wife, Naomi, we've been married for 21 years, so that shows that she can put up with a lot. Um, and then I have my little son, Arrow, and then my next son, Echo, and then my next son, Ransom, so three boys, and then my middle daughter, we have eight total, three girls, five boys, it's a zoo at our house, my daughter Harmony is here, uh, she's got my heart, we'll say, and if you, if you dads have daughters, you know, and then I have a few kids at home, my oldest son is in the Marines, my second oldest son uh, just graduated high school, and then I have two daughters at home. One is sick, and one is uh, a going to be a junior in high school. So we've got the whole spread at our house. Um, anyway, so that's who, who we are. Very, very glad to be here and share the word of God with you today, and I pray that it blesses you and encourages you and convicts you and inspires you as much as it did as I was putting it together. So... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit out of Genesis chapter 26 today. There's a beautiful story about Isaac and how he navigates some tough, tough times in his life. This is out of Genesis chapter 26. I'm going to read the entire passage in one. We'll break it down a little bit and then we'll get everybody out of here. Um, we're going to read out of Genesis chapter 26, 18 through 33. And then I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background after we... After we get into the scripture. So Genesis chapter 26 verse 18 and we'll read through the rest of this portion. It says, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father. Which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a wellspring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, and he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. 
So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzda, his advisor, and Pekol, his commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early, exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way. And they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servant came, told him about the well they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. I have right here a copy of a sermon that was written in 1932. This was written in 1932, and you can tell because it's written in cursive, which is really hard to write. They don't write so much in cursive anymore, and it was handwritten. Uh, it was written by a man named Percy R. Bram, and it was written for a conference in Santa Fe Springs, California in 1932. I believe it was in the spring. Now, what's so, so amazing to me about this is this was written by my great-great-grandfather, who I have never met. And I got a hold of this uh, sermon. It was written about Acts chapter 2, uh, just about the, uh, the health of the church. But it was written in 1932 by my great-great-grandfather, who I'd never met. And I've held on to this for many years, and it's very, very dear to me, because I believe... Now, this, this man, per Percy Bram, who was my great-great-grandfather... He, his ministry was cut short. He was an itinerant Methodist pre uh, preacher in Southern California. And he'd go around to different congregations and, and preach and teach the word. He was misdiagnosed with epilepsy and they institutionalized him because they didn't understand epilepsy back then. And he was institutionalized. His ministry was cut short and he ended up uh, dying, I believe, 15 years later, probably before his time. And I've always... I, when I heard that story from my grandfather, I took that to heart. And I said that there was something that was happening in my family line that got cut short. There was a well, so to speak, that had been filled in, and I felt like it was my job to uncover that well, so to speak. Now, before we kind of break this passage down, I want to build a little framework around this passage. Now, where this passage take place, there was a famine in the land. And many people were migrating at this time down to Egypt because there was food and, and, and work and it was, it was thriving in Egypt. But God told Isaac, no, don't go down to Egypt. I want you to stay in Gerar, which is kind of south central Israel. And I want you to stay there and I'm going to make you prosper. Now, the men of Gerar became interested in Isaac's wife, which was Rebekah. And Isaac lied to them and lied to the king and said, this is my sister. Amen, brother. This is my sister. And so they, it, it, it was the same lie, if you remember the story, that Abraham told the king Abimelech a few passages and a few years prior. Abimelech found out that this was a lie and scolded Isaac, and there became tension between Isaac 
and the king of the Philistines and the Philistines themselves. Now, this passage centers around wells. Wells were a central source of life, and communities back then were built around a well. So if you could dig a well, that's where you would build your community, because there was life and there was substance there. And wells had to be dug back in those days. That's a lot of effort, and you need a crew, and you need a team, and able to do that. So, I want to break down these first couple passages of Scripture because I believe that there is something in here that God has for all of us. If I can get this to work. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. There we go. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 again. It says, So Isaac departed from there, talking about Abimelech and the Philistines, and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac dug again the wells of his father that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, when the Philistines had stopped, that Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names his father had given them. Now, as I kind of unpack this a little bit, a few things stuck out to me. Number one, the enemy filled in a perfectly good will. They didn't steal it. They didn't exploit that well. They just filled it in. When my kids were wrestling, they were on a Christian wrestling team that did a fundraiser to dig a well in Africa. And part of that fundraiser was not only to dig the well in the remote part of Africa, but also to hire guards to protect that well. Because the drug lords and, and the army would come in and they'd charge people for the money at the well and they'd exploit that well. And I thought that that was interesting because the Philistines didn't do that. They just filled it in. They were so jealous of, of Isaac and his wealth and how much he was prospering that they filled in that well completely. And one thing that, like, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, sometimes, you know, and sometimes we don't see the value of our lives enough to stand up for ourselves when the enemy comes to destroy the well that God has dug in our lives. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, well, we don't have any value, okay? Like, why had this well been stuck up? Who was guarding this well back in the time of Abraham? Why had it been abandoned? They didn't, did, did, did we not see how valuable that was? And I look around here and I see all the red, white, and blue. I mean, 4th of July was just last week. My ears are still ringing. <laughs> And I wonder, like, what a beautiful gift America is to the world. What a beautiful gift. Like, you'll never be able to convince me that America itself is in biblical prophecy, but I believe a lot of the principles that our nation was found upon is in our biblical principles. And I believe that the enemy is trying to fill in the well of America to stop the life-giving water going out to the world. And, by, and he's doing that through the people, and he's trying to silence, and especially the church, silencing the church to keep us from speaking out about the immorality, the injustices, the things. And I'm not talking about politics, okay? I'm talking about morality. I'm talking about prosperity. I'm talking about the religious freedom. I'm talking about generational wealth and hope and the like. The enemy has come and he is filling in the wells that are bringing all these things to the world. And he's filling in 
the, the well of the church. He's filling in the voices of the church. And I believe right now the church has been given supernatural favor to speak life and to be a well in a desert land in order to bring life and hope to those around it. But we have to be okay with offending the Pharisees of our time. Isaac also saw the value in the old wells enough to put forth the energy to redig them. And I believe that there's wells in our lives that God is calling us to restore. And if you consider your life, there is a well in your life, spiritually <clears throat> and metaphorically speaking, that God is calling you to restore. It could be a relationship. It could be a business idea. It could be a ministry thought that maybe you had that had run its course. But there will be effort into the re-digging process, through the reclaiming process. That effort could mean repentance. It could mean repentance, God to man, to God, or it could mean repentance to man. It could mean sacrificing some time or sacrificing some finances. It could mean building more discipline into my life or into your life. It's going to take some effort. Now, Isaac redug those wells. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he moved on. He redug those wells. He gave them the same name that had father had given them, and then he moved on. He knew the value and what these wells held was far beyond his own personal sustainment or convenience. He had redug something that was established before his time. So he could leave it for those who came after his time had ended. He gave them the same name and the same purpose. And I want us to think about this thought. If I can get it to work. Maybe not. Here we go. Yes. It is time to reclaim with our hands what the enemy has destroyed in our hearts. It is time to reclaim with our hands what the enemy has destroyed in our hearts. <clears throat> My dad gave me some great advice when I graduated high school. He said, son, it is easy to get into debt, but it is hard to crawl out. How many of you know that's the truth? Very easy, to, kind of fun to get into debt. <laughs> Very hard to dig your way out. And that goes with anything in life. Sometimes it's easy to just give up on what God has called us to do. Give up on, on, on what we feel is right and correct and, and just. Give up on those and allow the enemy to just fill them in. But God is saying, I'm going to guide your hands. I'm going to guide your mind and your wisdom to redig these things in your life. Genesis 26, 19 through 21. Let's see what this says. It says, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found there a wellspring of water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, say, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth. And I think I got ahead of myself. <laughs> now, you think about those first two wells. 
how frustrating it must have been for Isaac. Here he is. He just redug his father's wells. He moved on to create now his own community, and they're quarreling. They're having border disputes. They're fighting over these wells that he himself is digging. And it says that they were finding spring water. In other words, the water was coming up. I mean, what a convenient well that was. The water flowed freely, spending all the time and resources to dig in the land, and now they're having disputes and quarrels and fighting over it. Now, to, to put this in perspective, the first well that Isaac dug, he prophesied over it, and he called it Asek, or contention. And that means a heated disagreement. The second well Isaac prophesied over, he called it Sitna, or enmity, meaning hostility or hatred. Now, I don't believe Isaac was, concerned, was cursing these wells. I believe that he was discerning what was going to continue to happen if he stayed there. He didn't want to drink from or fight over these wells. And I believe that he was wise and he was choosing his battles wisely. And I believe that we are in a season in the church where we need to pick our battles wisely. 1 Timothy 3, 3 through 4, or 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4 says this, as I urged you when I was, this is Paul talking to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and severe faith. There are so many battles out there that are not worthy of our energy or efforts. Meaningless battles that can distract us from the real ones that are worth our time and energy. Now, I, let me give you, as a minister, one thing that I will not debate about is eschatology. About end time, like, I'm not going to debate it. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I do think it's important to hold a view because it helps everything else in Scripture really uh, make a lot of sense and puts urgency on it, but I'm not going to debate it, okay? And I'm not going to debate, like, some of you may like this or not, but I'm not going to debate about speaking in tongues. Like, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, a lot of people will say you have to speak in tongues. Other people say, no, you, you don't have to speak in tongues. I'm not going to debate it. I will ask, is your prayer life healthy? Is your prayer life active? I've known people who speak in tongues, their prayer life is not active. Okay? I'm not, like, those are debates that aren't worth our energy, and really what they do is they turn the church against each other over minuscule things. However, if someone wants to tell me that there, are, there is more than one way to God, that's a battle worth fighting. You know why? Because people's eternity is at stake. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Marriage between one man and one woman, that's one I'm worthy to fight over. Because how many of you know, you go outside of God's design for that, and it creates a mess in society. A culture that wants to indoctrinate these children into a doctrine of demons, I will stand up for these children all day long. And in fact, in the church today, there's a growing movement in, in Christian circles that say women cannot teach theology. 
And I think that that is the most ridiculous thing because what that does is it silences the voice of women who have insight and have wisdom to share with the body of Christ. It silences half of the church. I'm not going, I'm not going to, to stand for that. And it's a growing movement and it's terrible. Our lives, when we surrender to Jesus, will stir the contention and enmity of the enemy. But we have to be discerning on which battles we are willing to fight. Oops. Bam. Folks, we carry the spirit of discernment with us. Let's follow him. I think a lot of times we can engage in things because our flesh wants to. Or... or Oh, our opinion. I come from a long line of opinionated people, my friends. If I could bring my grandma here, my wife will testify. My grandma is one of the most opinionated people. I love her. But how many of you know, I don't need to be driven by my opinions. I need to be following the spirit of the Lord and the discernment he gives me to navigate the times that we're in. We must never forget that we were born into a spiritual war. But let's choose our battles carefully and wisely. Genesis chapter 26, 23 through 33 says this. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father, fear not. I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant's sake. So he built an altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Pekol, his commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and you have sent me away from you? They said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between us and you, and let us make covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace the same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, we have found water. Isaac left these situations. I'm sure, like I said before, they were frustrating situations. There was anger, resentment because he had just gone through this time of turmoil and, and efforts that weren't working. And he had worked really hard on these wells and probably paid a crew of guys two times to no avail to no fruit. This can get discouraging because the, where are they going to settle? Where are they going to live? What are they going to do? But Isaac, instead of continuing the fight, he moved on. Even after the second well, he moved on. Romans 2, or Romans 12 says this. I'm using an old clicker. That's the problem we're having. I probably need to change the batteries. Okay. It says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. We love to be vindicated as people, don't we? Like, we love to be right. I want to be right. I want to be justified immediately. I don't want to wait for the Lord to do it. I just, and that's where the whole kind of social justice movement comes. Because people want to be vindicated right away on their terms in a way they can control. God is saying, nope, vengeance is mine. How many of you know I'm going to take care of you? I'm going, to, I'm going to make things right if you trust me. It might even take generations. Now, Abraham had built many wells. The Philistines had filled it in. And it took the next generation to come along and redig those wells. That, and Abraham had already passed away at this point. Okay, So he didn't even get to see his vindication. But God came and he vindicated, uh, he vindicated Abraham through his son Isaac. God provided a space and a well for him to settle and uh, expand his house. God was going to display his sovereign plan through this entire situation. We're going to see this kind of all unfold right here. God visited Abraham that night that he settled right there in Beersheba. God told him a few things. Number one, he told him not to fear. And God confirmed that he would continue his promise that he had made to his father, Abraham. God reminded Isaac that he was with him and would continue the growth of his household. And then God brought Abimelech to Isaac to showcase his favor and provision. Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, came to Isaac and wanted and initiated that oath of peace. God established that peace between these two men and their community. I don't think that would have been possible if, if Isaac would have gotten into a war over those wells. But he walked away, and Isaac was not perfect by any means, but in that situation, <coughs> excuse me, in that situation, he surrendered that vengeance to God, and God brought it around full circle. And this place of visitation became a place to build an altar, to worship, to sacrifice, and to call upon the name of the Lord. And so many times in my life, and I'm sure if we thought about our lives, so many lives in here, you've navigated through fruitless seasons or seasons where you felt like had no fruit, that had no, that you had just been hitting brick walls over and over again, be it in business, be it in relation, whatever it is. And I want to tell you a little story about my wife and I. My wife and I had been pastoring for 10 years at a, a wonderful church down in Ording. We had a very, very comfortable ministry. We were youth pastors, associate pastors. 80% of the church liked us. That's pretty good, you know. Uh, that is pretty good numbers, actually. It was, and and, and we, we, a church that we loved. But we saw a community in need next town over. And we said, we went to my senior pastor, we went to our district, said, we're going to go and plant a church over there. And it was extremely difficult. And we worked our fingers to the bone and our spirits to the bone. And that was in 2019 when we started this. As of November in 2022, through almost three years and a year and a half of gatherings, we came to the realization that we had to call it quits because it was going to destroy us and destroy our, our family and everything. We had to call it quits. This left us, and especially myself, wounded, 
discouraged, angry, frustrated, disenfranchised. I even felt abandoned by God, abandoned by our church, abandoned by our district. And what hurt even most, and I think this is important to the story, is the church building where we were meeting at as a church plant was a church building I had been going to and praying over for five to six years. I would park in the parking lot and I would pray, God, let us plant a church in this. God, give us this building. Because how many of you know buildings, they're, they're, all they are is a tool, but how many of you know some tools are really sharp and can be very effective? And we prayed over that building. I marched around it. I, I laid my hands on it. I anointed I did all the Pentecostal stuff that I could think of to do. And after one year in that building, we were having to move on. And it was very heartbreaking for me. And as far as ministry goes, it was definitely the darkest place I had been in in that ministry. And in January of this year, our last service we had as a church plant, everybody had left, and it was just Naomi and I sitting in that building. And one of the pastor friends, a good friend of mine, had came to that last service to support us. He came back in the building after he had left. He lived two towns over, and he came back, and he said, you know, I was driving home and I had a prophetic word for you and let me share that word with you. And it wasn't, the, you know, this deep, profound word. He was basically like, this is part of the process. Trust God in this and, and surrender to him and you're going to see this thing come full circle. And I thought, okay, thanks. You know, and he encouraged us to remain faithful. About a month later, I received an email from a pastoral call committee from the church that we had been meeting at. They were looking for a new pastor, the same church that I had been praying over for five, six, maybe even seven years. They called me and they said, we're looking for a new pastor. Would you come in and interview? And I went and since then, over the past five months, through a very, very uh, beautiful, but very uh, strenuous process. No, strenuous is, is the bad word. It's a very detailed process, extensive process as it should be, uh, through vetting interviews and introductions to the ministry and to the congregation. It's been a, a, you know, a long process. But as we speak right now, probably right now, the congregation is voting for me to come and be their new lead pastor. And if you look at, well, maybe it's over now, but it, it started at 10.30. I'm trying to time. The point is... And I'm going to hold this back up again. In 1932, this sermon was written by my ancestors that I never read. All along the way of the story of my life and my ancestor's life, there had been wells that needed to be dug to lead me to the place I am to set up the generations that are going to come after me. My mother in uh, 1970, I want to say 1977, she was attending Oral Roberts University, and she was studying English Lit. She's super smart. She's a doctor. She's got a doctorate in English Lit. She's a brilliant woman. When she was 19, in 1976, she was at Oral Roberts University. She said, I was in my room studying one night, and I heard what could considerably be closest thing to the audible voice of God. And he said these words to me, go home. And he, she said, well, uh, I just got here, you know, I just paid tuition, da, da 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 She ended up going home two weeks later. She met my father. They got married, moved to Washington, had me 
and my brother setting up all the events that would take place in my life and theirs and their lives. So God is meeting us along the way. And this story is just representative of so many different stories that are taking place right now. Some of you are going through, through times and seasons that are extremely discouraging. And you're like, God, I'm waiting for the fruit. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've done all the Christian things that I can think about to go through to get this thing to a, a, a righteous resolve. And it hasn't happened yet. I am truth. The fact that I'm, I didn't think I was ever going to go into ministry again. I thought my time in ministry is done. But through, through all this stuff, I, I just as hard as it was, I stayed faithful to what little I had in that season. And God is now bringing me to a beautiful place where I will, I, I, I will be able to serve an entire congregation. The same community that we church, planted a church in, in the same building I prayed over, over the same friends that I had, all those strategies now will have uh, more opportunity to come to fruition. And so I just want to encourage you today that if you feel like, man, I, I, I'm so far away, you might be closer than you think. There might be a process happening in your life with God behind the scenes that doesn't make sense to you, but makes perfect sense to him. And the story of Isaac and my story and so many stories in here are proof of that. And one final thing I want us to think about, if I can get the thing to work. So unprofessional. God has strategically placed wells in the path of our lives to give us life, hope, and satisfaction through him. Sometimes we have to redig them. Sometimes we dig a well and we realize, I like, it looks good, <laughs> it's convenient, but I might need to move down the road a little bit. And that's where we have discernment to realize that that's what we need to do. And I just want to end tonight with a couple questions. And I'm going to pray, and I'll leave these up here as long as we can. A couple questions for us to consider this week. Number one, have you been digging, have I been digging wells in my life in a place that we know won't serve God's purpose? Think about that. Have I been digging a well in my life in a place that I know won't serve God's purpose? Number two, what wells has the enemy filled in that have left, that, what, what am I right? That the enemy filled in that have left, that will in the, okay. Here's what I mean. What wells uh, has the enemy filled in that are in need of being redug? What wells that you know in your life that have been filled in by the enemy that you need to redig, that you need to reclaim? Think about that. Just don't read it. <laughs> Have you recognized the wells in your life that require an altar to be built? How many of you know there's a well in my life today as I get ready to transition to a new congregation? I need to be building an altar there because that's a place of victory. Isaac didn't build an altar at his father's wells. He didn't, definitely didn't build an altar at the place where there was contention. He built it at a place that God specifically designed for him. And that was his place to worship and to sacrifice and to go to the Lord. So I want us to think about these things this week as we go. Take a picture of these, write them down. And I want to pray and I'm going to unofficially dismiss us, but 
if you want to, if you want me to pray over you or have my wife come up and pray with you, if you're sick and need to be anointed with oil, uh, uh, we definitely want to pray for you. And thank you guys very much for welcoming us and allowing us to come out and minister here today. It's, uh, it's always a great time to see you and hopefully I'll see you, see you again, but let's, uh, keep pressing in the Lord. Let's keep following the Lord. This is a very beautiful and strategically placed church. There is a well in this church for this community. And you guys have an opportunity really to reach the world because so many people come through here. And I, I heard about your, your deep fried prayer and what a great success that was. I mean, the people will remember that forever. Deep fried prayer, you know. So uh, God bless you guys for everything you're doing for this community. Uh, I'm going to pray and then I'll, I'll stay up in the front and uh, pray with you if you need it. So. And uh, like I said, Roger will be back next week. And we definitely want to pray for him that he has a restful uh, vacation and uh, he comes back ready to go. So. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you are ever faithful in our lives, God, that even when it's the darkest times, we know that you're working behind the scenes and all we need to do is to trust you. So God, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open up your word. I pray that it would be embedded deep into our hearts, Lord, that it would remain active and Lord, that it would come to our mind as we go about our week and we go about our lives, God, and we would truly be aligned with you, that you would help us to see the wells in our lives, God, that need to be redug. And Lord, you would give us the tools and the relationships in order to do that. But mainly we would be in, build an altar in the places of victory and in the places of sustainment so that we can always go to you and always remember to thank you for the places that you have brought us from. And Lord, help us to trust you in the process, even when it's very, very difficult. We love you so much. Thank you for Packwood Foursquare Church. Continue to grow this church and anoint this church and, and bless everybody's efforts, I pray. Lord, for an, just an extra anointing on the people of this congregation, that they would truly know you and make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. The clarification I needed to make is, in fact, when I gave a sermon illustration about the story of the church that I was applying to be pastor at, I was uh, not voted to be their pastor. The congregation voted to not have me in as their pastor. I didn't realize that until after the sermon had already been delivered. And uh, I just wanted to make that clarification, but the message of the, of the sermon does not change. So thank you very much. Continue to take a courageous stand for the truth. Continue to stay strong in this hour. God bless you. I will see you on the next episode. God bless.